Listener beware. This is Crackpot Cocktail Hour. I'm your host, Lacey Ramsey. I'm your host, Alex Brennan. We are a podcast for the strange and unusual. Every episode, we cover a topic or event one of us finds strange and unusual. Some episodes may not be suitable for all listeners, so listen with care. But if you like the weird, strange, creepy, and true, you've come to the right place. So sit back and relax. It's time for Crackpot Cocktail Hour. Got to the point where every time I wash and dry my masks, I lint roll them after, like before I put them in my little mask container because it's such a sensory issue for me. Smart. I've started like storing my masks like in coats with zipper pockets, and I'll zip them up inside it. That's smart. Yeah. And then I also have it there in my coat when I'm ready to go because I'm always cold. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Two birds. Uh, Coffee. Mm, There you go. mm, What creamer is this? Use Irish cream, right? It's Italian sweet Italian cream. Sweet cream, that's right. Because you and I both used to be hazelnut people, and then we switched to. I went to Italian uh, Irish cream. You went to Italian cream. We're covering yeah. the eyes of Europe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like just like a little bit of like sweet, like extra sweetness. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, we are recording for the first time in a fuck long time. Yeah, we are. <laughs> I so my friend uh, Angela from Vegas, who I've shouted on this podcast many a time, she messaged me not long ago and she was like, "So I think I caught up on your podcast, and is there any more podcasts?" <laughs> and we've been like, "Uh, maybe." <laughs> yeah, um, maybe we should address the elephant in the room. <laughs> I bought an elephant. <laughs> And that's what's been keeping us from the podcast. Look, Stampy has had some issues. He's been adjusting to life in Seattle. He ate all the trees on Queen Anne. (laughs) We didn't agree with his diet, so then we had to take him to the zoo. It was a whole thing. Stopped over in Springfield. (laughs) I'm glad you got the reference. (laughs) (laughs) So, as everyone here knows, 2020 did us all dirty. Yeah. Um, And the last time we tried to record this podcast, or this episode... It did not pick up the recording. We had a power failure like very early on in the recording. It's like once we got into like the meat of the story, it was like, mm, guess what? Only one microphone is picking it up. So fuck you. Yep. Um, are you going to be watching it the whole time? Should I set an alarm? Oh, I am watching the fuck out of this. <laughs> good deal. Good deal. <laughs> I am fuck paranoid now. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, I feel like the forces of the universe have been conspiring against us for quite some time, and it makes me angry. (laughs) It makes me want to do this podcast even more. (laughs) Just fuck you, we're gonna do it. That's right. We're gonna deal with it. Wow, that was a big fuck you. Look at that spike. (laughs) You're gonna have to really, uh... That's the fuck spike. (laughs) Envelope that one, or whatever you do with the audio. I'm still learning. (laughs) But you've learned a lot. I uh, have. And uh, should we tell them why you've been learning audio? Nope. We can, I was going to say we can always cut it out. 
<laughs> I'm good without that. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm not venturing into any of that right now because I got some big rejections and was like, mm, I'm off this for a minute. Well, skipping over the why, <laughs> Lacey has been learning audio. And uh, one day when I was over here, it was actually after recording an episode, she wanted me to listen to something she'd recorded just because she wasn't sure about the quality. And I'm listening to it. And I'm like, this is fine. You're... It sounds clear. I understand what's happening. And like, I tried to show you a few tricks and you'd already figured them out. And then I'm like, oh no, this is what I do every time I edit the podcast. I'm like, this is shit. And then somebody else hears it and is like, this sounds great. I don't know what you're referring to. That's so problematic. <laughs> well, one of my husband, I've told you this, uh, one of my husband's coworkers uh, produces his own music and he also has his own podcast. Um, and he said, listening to ours, he he thinks that we have a good quality podcast, that it sounds good. And I was just like, oh, that's good to hear. You actually know your shit and you use Pro Tools. Like, you actually paid for stuff. We're using Audacity, the free stuff. <laughs> Although, if someone would like to sponsor us, we'd be happy to venture out into any other paid tools. <laughs> um, we are crackpotcocktailhour at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> you could also contact us via any social media platform that we're on. <laughs> Um, the other big elephant in the room is uh, another reason why it's been so long since we've recorded. So you remember back in our very first episode when we were talking about uh, human sensory and everything and I talked about a time four years ago when I went blind in one eye. I remember. So four years ago, they told me it was not MS. Guess what? It was MS. Mm. Uh, so I have been dealing with that for like the last few months. Uh, I cannot say enough good things about you guys as my friends, though. Uh, I need to tell you listeners, uh, what Lacey and Kendall and our other friend Miranda, who you've heard us mention, did right after I was diagnosed. Um, the Sunday after, because I found out on a Thursday, this was the Sunday right before Christmas, I should add too, they showed up. At my house, first thing in the morning, uh, my husband, like, planned to, like, make breakfast or something, and they brought over, like, this whole, like, box of just goodies, and it was, like, face masks, pajamas, shoes that say dead inside, because that's who I am as a person, <laughs> uh, little, like, dinosaur things, and it was just, it was the perfect thing, and then everyone also brought, uh, who hadn't already exchanged Christmas presents, brought Christmas presents, and it was like, I gotta have my Christmas morning with my best friends, and it was just the best so thank you for that you're welcome i'm glad that it meant something to you we didn't know what to do you know somebody that we love is hurting and has something that we can't really help or do anything about so we we're just like well we can show up yeah <laughs> <laughs> it sucks having ms but i have the absolute best group around me from my friends my husband my parents got on the same Zoom call with my MS doctor and didn't say a bad thing about each other. Your divorced parents. Yes. <laughs> my parents who hate each other. <laughs> Which is funny because I keep like saying it, it's like, yeah, my parents got divorced because they hate each other. And they're like, I don't hate your father. I don't hate your mother. And then they'll go on to say like 20 bad things about the other one. I'm like, just just admit it. <laughs> Look, so we all we know the PR spin. You're not allowed to hate them or whatever, but you can. It's fine. Yeah, I was like, just don't try to like damage my relationship with the other one. I don't care that you hate each other. Just yeah. Don't bring it here. That's fair. Uh, I have a cane now. Her name is Cassie. She's here. She's pretty. She is. Yeah, we were all, uh, Lee and I were admiring her before we got started recording. How much were you admiring her? With our hands. Oh, yeah. With our eyes. Yeah, it was because, you know, 
scout wood. <laughs> She's hard as a rock. She's got a nice rubber grip to her. <laughs> Lady in rubber. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's been the other thing. So I have been missing a lot of time because of that. Well, we're glad you're back. From out of space. <laughs> I should I should have changed that stupid lock. I should have made, made you leave, leave your, your key. key. <laughs> if I just known for just one second, you'd be back to bother me. Go on now, go. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> can't keep doing this. I'm sorry, did we just go straight into Matthew McConaughey? <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Uh, so, yeah, I th- that is the one of the big developments um and then also we are completely ditching the schedule yeah we've realized um through the trial that was 2020 uh the schedule just doesn't work for us yeah (laughs) Yeah. at this point we uh we want to be able to get you guys episodes we love researching and i love coming up with cocktails for this Mm -hmm. like this is a passion project for us but it's also something that we want to make sustainable so we can continue to do it and not kind of cripple ourselves over like trying to bust our asses. Look, Lacey, if you're just trying to make an MS cripple joke, I just want to let you know that MS is not a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but MRS. (laughs) But like between the fact that, you know, like I work 40 hour job and I have MS and editing the podcast. And then on top of it, you also have your own you yeah, have, like, got you fibromyalgia, have fibromyalgia and I and don't work <laughs> because of fibromyalgia. But because we're so exhausted and there's so much on us all the time, um, we just found that it was unsustainable. So I didn't want to put more pressure on you because I knew that you already had your own things that you had to deal with. And likewise, you're yeah. trying to work and deal with this new diagnosis. So I think flexibility is key here. Yeah. Well, I kept, and I, I told you this, like, I kept thinking, like, am I just a wimp? Why am I, like, tired all the time? And, like, I kept, like, trying to justify It's like, oh, the random shooting headaches you have in your head. That's fine. You've had headaches your whole life. It... Granted, they're different from every other headache, and they're sudden and blinding and make it feel like a railroad spike has gone through your eyeball and out the back of your head, but it's okay. Don't be an alarmist. (laughs) God. Or like, I know you said like the pain in your legs. You're like, maybe I'm just lazy. And I'm like, I don't think laziness gives you pain. Yeah. And also, I don't think laziness exists, but that's a soapbox for another episode. That's that's fair. But it was getting to the point, like, we would go out in the yard to play with our dogs, and Heath would be playing with them, and I'd have to sit down. I was like, I just, I have to sit down here in the middle of the yard because I am too tired to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm just like, am I just not exercising enough? Is this because I'm working from home and I sit all day? And I'm sure, like, that had, like, a small part to do with it. Sure. Like, movement is necessary to feel okay for people, but there's also, like, a balance. Yeah. The fact that there were several times where I'd be, like, in the middle of something and I was like, no, I need to sleep right now. Not a, I need to sit and get a breath. It was a, no, you need a bed because if you don't lay down right now, you're going to pass out standing up. Yeah. Which is different. I mean, that's that's actual, like, medical, like, chronic fatigue that, like, a lot of people haven't experienced. And if you have experienced it, you're like, 
oh, this is a whole other level of tired that I didn't even know could exist. This is behind like mm-hmm. a paywall that I had to yeah. like, level up <laughs> enough to access. You need this level of lesions or brain damage to get there. <laughs> right. So like people are like, I'm tired after a long day at work. Like it's not the same thing unless you actually have some sort of chronic fatigue. Yeah. But uh, our friend Katie, she <laughs> recommended a book recently and I am going to recommend this to everybody out there. It's called It's okay to not be okay. It's okay that you're not okay. Mm. And uh, she recommended it to me. And it's not just about like dealing with like chronic disease, it's about like any major change in your life. And I think for a lot of us, whenever we have like a sudden loss in our life, um, a lot of people like after like a week of letting you be upset about it, they're just like, aren't you over this yet? And the thing the book says right away is this is as bad as you think it is. Hmm. This isn't you had a bad day at work and you just need some time to just breathe and let it out. You went through something major, be it you lost something or someone or a piece of yourself. You've had some big major dramatic event in your life and some days it will you'll be fine. And some days it could be a year from now. You're just going to break down and cry. Mm -hmm. And I know you've had a big loss in your life. Yeah. And I know it still affects you. And I mean, how would you feel if I came in here? I'm like, are you over that yet? (laughs) I'll be like, oh, probably never. (laughs) And and it's, I think you hit on something important. It's like losses and big changes and things like grief aren't limited to losing a person. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I lost my dad. And I've got definitely, you know, complex grief attached to that. I lost my cat Chrissy a year ago and I still miss her. But losing my health and like losing what I thought was going to be like a meaningful career for me, like that was its own kind of like massive loss and transition. And like I needed people around me who are like kind of tried to understand how that was for me instead of just like, okay, well now moving on to the next thing. Yeah. One thing I really have appreciated about your friendship um, is when I went through everything four years ago and I, before they told me I didn't have MS, liars. (laughs) um, I needed someone who was willing to talk to me about what if it is a positive result? And everyone just, they give you those platitudes of, well, you know, you can't think that way. You got to be positive. And that was one thing that I appreciated about your friendship is that you would let me go to those dark places. And I hope I've let you go to those dark places when uh, you've needed to, because it's so important to look at it and to face it. Yeah, no, I think I I totally agree with you. And like one of the things that, you know, the career that I thought I was going to go into (laughs) counseling was learning that I've always been pretty good at sitting in discomfort or sitting, you know, with people in difficult places, uh, partly because, you know, I think a lot of my childhood and like, you know, my mom did a great job, but I think a lot of my childhood was, uh, you know, we're just busy kind of trying to get by and like, Mm -hmm. you know, deal with life. And there wasn't a lot of time for like slowing down and like really like you seem like you're sad let's like unpack that or sit in it there's just always kind of so much to do and handle and so mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that I needed and also I'm sure other people need that mm-hmm. kind of like it's it's okay to not be okay yeah like, and I uh <laughs> for the last year and I remember telling this right after my diagnosis I've been gaslighting myself about having MS because Number one, when I had optic neuritis, when I went to the ER, we had this Chad that was right out of med school who was like convinced up and down it was just an optic migraine. Like 
He did the CAT scan to make sure I didn't have a brain tumor. And then after that, he was like, I'm pretty sure it's just an optic migraine. I'm like, my vision is actively getting worse while I'm here. And he was incredibly dismissive about mm. it. And uh, it, it didn't show up, the uh, lesions didn't show up on my MRIs back then, but it was the early sign of it. But because I got that clean bill of health four years ago, every now and then, like, I would think, is this MS? Like, it would, like, creep into my mind. Mm. But I was still like, no, everyone's told me no. Everyone's been telling me that I've been overdramatic about it, that I've been overthinking it. And it's like when I would get those headaches or when I would, like, have to sit down in the yard or when I'd have those times where I was like, I need to sleep right this second. Mm. Or when I'd have body pains or any of the other horrible MS symptoms. I was gaslighting myself. It's, um... Astonishing how powerful the voice of an ill-informed person in authority is, and I've experienced that too with medical people. Oh, we're going to talk about that a little bit on today's episode too, so I mean, that was a great segue. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> is there anything you would like to say? I feel like I've been ranting about MS for uh, You know, I think you needed to unpack it. I just now, I'm on my phone because I realized I've uh, got to talk about the cocktail at some point. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> We haven't done this for a minute. We're a little rusty, you guys. <laughs> so um, right now I'm drinking coffee, but if I was not drinking coffee, Lacey, what would I be drinking? <laughs> if we weren't drinking a mixture of uh, coffee and champagne, we would be drinking the cocktail for this episode is Goody Proctor. It's one part mezcal, one part Grand Marnier, a quarter part pomegranate syrup. You stir together, no ice, and garnish with a burnt cinnamon stick. So it gives kind of an extra smoky, spicy flavor. And then the mocktail is one part ritual tequila alternative, one part pomegranate juice, a teaspoon orange extract, and one to three drops liquid smoke. Uh, Stir together, no ice, and garnish with a burnt cinnamon stick. The liquid smoke is to substitute for the kind of smoky flavor in the mezcal. You still get a smoky flavor from the cinnamon stick. It's just to kind of add extra oomph if you want it. I figure having a smoky element for a witch-burning episode was uh, (laughs) necessary. (laughs) And uh, we did drink this cocktail the last time we tried to record this episode. I can confirm is delicious, but let's pretend we have it now. Funny thing about the Salem witch trials, no witches were burned. Oh! Yeah, all the witch burning happened in Europe. None of it happened in America. That is good to know. It's actually one of the number one like misconceptions about the Salem witch trials is how they were killed. Shit, girl, we're already learning. <laughs> so, in the traditional Puritan sense, I know there are like, a lot of jokes online like, she can do math, she's a witch! But do you know how to spot a witch? Extra nipple. (laughs) A nubbin. (laughs) (laughs) Technically, yes. (laughs) I I knew I'd, like, read that somewhere. Um, anything else? Uh, if she weighs as much as a duck? Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Little tiny rocks! (laughs) I think those are the two main signs. She turned me into a newt. A newt, sir. I got better. Um, okay, so the first one is a witch's mark. And so often it is a wart, but a witch's mark may be any distinct skin anomaly, including strange birthmarks, nubbins, uh, raised or large moles, scars, skin tags, or any other unusual feature. Witch's marks represent a T 
teat from which she feeds her familiar. But warts are the most common form of witch's marks. So if you see a cartoon where there is a wart on a witch's nose, she has a nipple on her nose. <laughs> I'm never going to look at that the same way again. I know. <laughs> nipples. Nipples everywhere. <laughs> So another sign is that they dishonor the Sabbath and holy relics and rituals. Witches in old Europe and the colonial Americas were servants of the devil. As his servants, they did not attend Christian churches. They did not baptize their children, were incapable of reciting holy prayers, or coming into contact with certain religious objects. So, for example, blessed crucifixes, sacred ground, holy water, things like that. So, to a certain degree, being an active member of, like, a church or a faith community would be protection against being seen as a witch. Exactly. So, if you don't do these things... You're a witch. And I mean, I think this also goes back into like demon possession versus mental disability. Because mm. imagine if you're someone who's homeless at this time who may have some sort of diagnosed mental illness and people think, oh, they're just speaking in tongues and all these things. It's like, no, that's someone who needs help. Right. Yeah. Or just somebody who, you know, for whatever reason was ostracized by the community for not fitting in. Yeah. Yeah. So another way to detect a witch is they have a pet or familiar. Familiars were servants of the witch, often a demon or unholy spirit in the disguise of an animal. The most common familiars were cats, toads or frogs, and rats and mice. That being said, any animal can be a potential witch's familiar. If the suspected witch has any animal that they keep as a pet, that animal is potentially a familiar. Wow. So I have two dogs that I fucking love, even though they're psychopaths. <laughs> so if I were suspected of being a witch, they'd be like, well, she has two familiars. Wow. That's pretty uh, loose proof. <laughs> yeah. Well, we see in the movie The Witch uh, that the two younger kids are really close with the goat. Oh, uh, yeah. Black Peter. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah. Great movie. Very well done. Now, this next one, Maleficium. Quite literally... The magic of ill-intention maleficium can take several forms. The witch may directly curse an individual or may cast a subtle hex for a perceived slight. An insulted witch may tell someone they will regret an action, and the individual may later suffer bad luck, an illness, or an injury. So they talk about this in the movie Practical Magic. Oh yeah, which I still haven't seen. <laughs> and there's a funny part where a detective from Arizona is, well, he's a marshal from Arizona, is like interviewing all the people in the town. And uh, they're like, they're not saying that he they killed them. They're just saying like, maybe they shook his hand and then he died. Like, that's a great example. Mm. I think um, also just kind of reading between the lines, it's like, okay, she doesn't fit in. And sometimes once she got angry, she's a witch. <laughs> like, you're, you'll regret that one day. Like, yeah, I mean, that sounds like shitty things someone might say when they're mad. It sounds like confirmation bias. <laughs> well, uh, so two days before I got my MRI for my MS, because we're not done talking about my MS, <laughs> I had a three-day migraine. Ooh. And I went to the doctor because it was not calming down. And she was able to give me an injection that helped with it. But while I was in there, at one point my migraine spiked. And at the same time, one of the pictures fell off the wall in the room. Now, 
that was a coincidence. <laughs> I do not have psychic powers that are manifesting in the form of MS. And if you did, you sure as hell wouldn't tell us, would yeah, you? That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, but if I were someone who was suspected of being a witch, someone would say, see, the headaches are from the demons or something, and they're lashing out, and now pictures are falling off the walls. Mm, got a spooky energy. Yeah. Um, The other one is spectral presence. Those afflicted by a witch may see their ghostly presence in in their residence, in their dreams, or in the forms of other creatures in both reality and in the sleeping world. Wait, 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 wait. So, this woman gets mad at me, and later I have a dream about her. She's probably a witch. Yup. But also, it could be something as simple as... You're just, like, at the window, doing your dishes, like you do- Oh, look, there's an owl! That must be the witch. Hmm. Or it's just an owl. I don't know, I've seen Harry Potter. (laughs) (laughs) Good point, good point. No further questions. I mean, if McGonagall can turn into a cat and Sirius can turn into a dog, who's to say? That's fair. Because, you know, Harry Potter is life. (laughs) It's the true history of the world, Lacey. I think we need to have a serious discussion here. Said like a Ravenclaw. <laughs> Slytherin. <laughs> I'm a wannabe Slytherin. I'm a puff. You know it. <laughs> I love you. You're a puff with an edge. <laughs> so, additionally, those afflicted may feel phantom pains from injuries to sensations of biting and itching and other invisible a- ailments. Spectral evidence was the heaviest and most compelling evidence of the 1682 witch trials. Wow. And actually, that should be 1692 witch trials. Anyways. So the fact that, like, that seems like the least related. Like, at least, like, a woman getting mad at you is like, well, yep, she got mad at me or said a mean thing to me. And I can, like, that was an event that happened. Like, once I saw an owl, like, that just... Yeah, but I'm also, like, itching. Maybe it's just winter and you have dry skin. Right. Maybe you have bed bugs because there's no hygiene. Right. Like, maybe maybe there's all manner of health ailments we don't understand even now in 2021, let alone 1690. Maybe you just have MS. I mean, that causes itching and random pains. (laughs) Alex, you're not making a great case for not being a witch. Look. (laughs) Um, But yes, like these are like pretty, like you can interpret them as much as you want to. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, uh, the final sign of being a witch impropriety. (sighs) What is impropriety? As witches are servants of the devil, they are not likely to be staunch followers of God's will. Witches may be promiscuous. They may talk back to their husbands and superiors. Uh, Witches are more likely to consume alcohol, stay out late, break societal rules. Some may even commit crimes. Well, we here at Crackpot Cocktail Hour condone all that behavior. Yeah. (laughs) I mean... Check, 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 check. (laughs) I'm just thinking about all the times we've gone out drinking to do karaoke, and then one or both of us has gone to go and pee in an alley. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) drinking alcohol committing crimes (laughs) using our voices (laughs) i know we're just the worst oh man that one time we were at the bar and those guys were hitting on us and i told the one that i was a succubus and i used the scent to allure my prey before i killed them (laughs) good times (laughs) or the one time the guy told me i dropped my smile and i told him that he dropped his penis (laughs) 
was amazing. <laughs> we had some pretty good comebacks. Oh god, yeah. One of my favorites was being at the um, like board game bar with the old group of friends, and the guy came up to me and was like, "What's your favorite game?" And I was like, "The Quiet Game." <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> The walls are high, listeners. The walls are high. So if you're looking to spot a witch... <laughs> Look no further. And actually, the fact that I have tattoos would probably get me marked as a witch. You done marked yourself as a witch with that. I well, One of my tattoos is in Latin, so... Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm just really inviting it. <laughs> I trying to line the sand. Don't read the Latin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now that we know the rules, All right. let's get into the timeline. So the Massachusetts witch outbreak began in Salem Village, which is the modern-day Danvers, Massachusetts. So let's all start there. Everyone who is going to Salem, Massachusetts to visit like where the witch trials took place, you're in the wrong Salem. Oh. There was Salem Town and there was Salem Village. Oh. Salem Village, now Danvers, is where it all actually happened. That reminds me of, uh, I think there was something similar with like London and Old London Town. That makes sense. Or like London and the City of London. I remember, I remember bits and pieces of a great many walking tours. <laughs> during my semester abroad. Well, you know, even old New York was once New Amsterdam. Oh, shit. Why they changed it, I can't say. Istanbul was Constantinople. <laughs> I was so if you have a date in Constantinople, she's going to be waiting in Istanbul. Ah, shit. <laughs> anyway, this happened when the town minister, Reverend Samuel Paris, found his daughter in fits during January of 1692. The girl, Elizabeth, who went by Betty, she was nine years old at the time, through terrible fits, screaming and throwing objects while making unintelligible sounds and twisting her body into strange positions. Had it only been the one girl, it may have been dismissed as a tantrum. But Betty's cousin, Abigail Williams, who was 11 years old, also exhibited the same behavior. Portrayed by yours truly in a high school <laughs> production of The Crucible. Also, another thing to point out, in The Crucible, Abigail Williams is a teenage hussy. Yes, Abigail Williams is a teenager. She is not 11 years old in The Crucible. And we cut out all the uh, romance. Well, not all, but most of the romance stuff in our he high school production. Of he didn't clutch your back in the barn. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't talk about it. <laughs> we didn't you a lecher? Like, there were hints of it, but it wasn't like... We definitely toned that bit down. Much like when I was Lady Macbeth, I had to say, Out, spot! And not out, damn spot. <laughs> to be Christian in Texas in high school. Oh, man. And that was public school. You know, that wasn't even... It was just standards and practices. <laughs> oh, Texas. Oh, Texas. So, anyways, so Paris is horrified because his daughter Betty is acting a damn fool. And Abigail is doing the exact same thing. So he calls the doctor, which is a reasonable thing to do. Also remember, this is 1692 medical science even a hundred years ago was kind of spotty so we're going back like 300 years and like what is a fit like i'm thinking like a seizure or like some sort of like uncontrollable like shaking or thrashing or something i'm thinking that if she's screaming but also twisting her body she's probably flopping around and doing shit like that too so it could be, I mean, I, I'm trying to like put this like in a modern medical context. Same, yeah. Because I, 
I've seen people with seizures. I had a friend whose brother was epileptic, and then there's that guy who had the seizure in front of me on the light rail one day. That's right. But when people have seizures, usually right before they have the seizure, they'll have some sort of like involuntary movement or involuntary sound that'll kind of come out of them. Mm. Not that they're trying to make a sound. It's just like as their body's like squeezing their diaphragm, like this sound will come out. And it's like... I'm thinking it could be just like an epileptic seizure um, or just like a single seizure, but they knew what seizures were at this time. Like they knew what epilepsy was. They, they already did. had a word for that. Oh. So he calls the doctor and as the girls are thrashing around in their rages, the doctor fails to find a cause for their ailment. So when he failed to find a diagnosis, just- He said, lose weight, take a walk, eat less sugar, don't drink caffeine. He said all that to them, right? Because that's what you do when you don't know what's wrong with someone. You just blame it all on them. That's just what we do today. Oh, In this case, we're going to blame the devil. Oh, right. You know, I would honestly prefer that. (laughs) So it's, it's possible that the doctor wasn't actually saying this literally, but... And it may have just been off the cuff, but when he can't find a diagnosis, he says that the girls must have had an evil hand on them. And again... And this is something that a lot of documentaries stress. These people, the doctors that they had, they weren't idiots at the time. Like they, granted medical science has made leaps and bounds since them. But they didn't know what epilepsy was. They were starting to understand what some mental illnesses were. Wow. So, and also remember, they are out of Europe where all like the witch burning and the mass hysteria is happening. And a lot of, even though the Puritans were in America for several reasons, The idea for most persons when they came to the New World was an age of reason. They were less likely to, like, pull the trigger immediately on, like, must be witchcraft. That's really interesting historical background. I appreciate that because I I think of the Puritans as, like, yeah, very, um, very religious without a lot of, um, like, rational logic. And it sounds like I'm just mistaken about that. I mean, granted, they're batshit crazy compared to how we are today. Um, they are very much what we would consider backwards thinking, but at the time they were very forward thinking, okay. which is also speaks volumes about this time. Uh, and also remember, like in Europe, uh, one of the big causes of the uh, plague was that one of the popes had people scooping up and killing cats because they thought they were witch familiars, which led to the increase in rats, which led to the faster spread of the plague. Wow. So, I mean, there's layers upon layers upon layers. A lot to unpack here. So, anyways, when he says that it could be an evil hand... Soon after, another local girl, Anne Putnam, who's also 11 years old, begins showing the same symptoms. So Anne's not in this house. Mm. She's in another house and she starts doing the same thing. He knows that this man probably means witchcraft. So the Puritan minister demanded to know who bewitched the girls. They provided three names. Tituba, who was an indentured servant in the Paris home. Sarah Good, who was a homeless woman and beggar. And Sarah Osborne, a poor woman who did not attend church and married her indentured servant. So they named three people on the margins of society. Yes. And let's also contextualize this way that they were questioning these girls. It's more like an OG police interrogation. So they're like demanding from these girls, like, tell us who did this to you. And these girls, for all you know, maybe they just needed attention because this is a time where everything is very locked down. These are girls that are just entering puberty. They're on the brink of that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot coming to the surface for them emotionally, mentally, physically. And 
This could have been their only way of acting out. Like an outlet for some of that energy and that chaos. Yeah, I mean, I remember one time there was a, uh, when I worked at the grocery store, there was a five-year-old girl who had a tantrum in the middle of our store. And I remember the mom being very apologetic. She's like, she's a kid. She has to get it out. Shit happens. I'm not thinking this reflects negatively on you for your kid having feelings. Yeah, and so this could just be something as simple as the girls were just freaking out for whatever reason. And... Instead of being like, maybe our kids are acting up, they are interrogating them. They're saying, you need to tell us who did this. You need to tell us what's going on right now. So what do you do when you're a kid and you don't want to get in trouble? Make something up. Exactly. Though Tituba was first blamed, her husband, John Indian, was also accused of witchcraft. Where both Good and Osborne fervently denied their guilt, Tituba eventually broke under interrogation. And... I don't, I don't recall, or like, again, I, my, my knowledge of this is based on the crucible. (laughs) um, Arthur Miller, thanks. But Tichuba was also like a slave or a indentured servant from not, like, not from the Puritan. She wasn't white, right? She was from like an island community or Barbados, I think it was in the play. Yeah, Yeah, we're going to actually, we're going to get into that too. But I also want to talk about like some of the interrogation techniques that were used at this time. Like one of them was finger pressing, where it's literally you put your fingers between two boards while they tighten the screws and it crushes your fingers. Well, and what we know about torture is it always gets adequate, accurate information. Of course. Right? Of course. Yeah, that's that's what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So prior to his move to Salem Village, Samuel Paris, who was a Harvard graduate, inherited a sugar plantation in Barbados. Among his many slaves was Tituba. And one of the things a lot of people forget is that the slave trade actually started thanks to the English. And we were actually breeding slaves in the Caribbean. People that were taken from Africa were brought to Barbados to work the plantations there. And not only were they bred to make more slaves, they also bred them with South American natives. So many levels of terrible. And I'm thinking just also about like, you know, who as a child you're going to pick like to accuse. And it's, you wouldn't pick somebody that could stand up to it and like argue back and like somebody upstanding in the community who like has no, like, because then it's just going to come back on you. Like you have to pick somebody who is an outsider enough that enough people would believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Privilege. (laughs) Tituba was obviously one of these slaves. As natives did not have, quote, proper last names like Europeans, Jesus fucking Christ, owners often gave them English names and their slaves would often be given some sort of designated last name. So like Smith, your family was probably a smither. In the case of John Indian, he was named John to give him an English name and Indian to state that he was a Native American because that's what they called the Indians at the time. Wow. So, yeah. Shit. Yeah. There's just a lot of racism right there alone to unpack. Yeah, really. So, when the the state was leveled by a hurricane, Paris relocated, taking Tituba with him, and ended up in Salem Village. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, what's up? (laughs) I can't hear hurricane, so sorry. Fucking Hamilton. I can't hear the word hurricane without hearing Lynn Manuel Miranda go, in the eye of a hurricane, very quiet. <laughs> Just a moment. <laughs> I 
you doing there, buddy? It's super inappropriate. <laughs> oh, I can feel my face is hot. Okay. Sidebar. You know how they're talking about the uh, the Skylar sisters in Hamilton? Mm-hmm. Their dad was the largest slave owner and trader in the Americas. Oh, yeah. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> so, um... I'm sorry for that. Another thing to unpack there. Jesus Christ. So... <laughs> After the estate is leveled, he relocates to Salem. He brings Tituba and her husband, John Indian, with him. He was greedy, highly unpopular, but he was allies with a local man by the name of Thomas Putnam. Mm. Does that name sound familiar? Yes. And Putnam, his daughter, is also acting a damn fool. I need to stop saying acting a damn fool. I just can't pull that off. (laughs) (laughs) Behaving in a way that is unbecoming of a young woman. She's a witch. (laughs) Oh, no, a witch did it to her. Because, you know, she's she's the rich guy's Mm. daughter. She's a rich. (laughs) (laughs) So, but because he's allies with Putnam, he quickly became minister of the Church of Salem Village, not long after it was vacated by the previous minister, George Burroughs. Mm. So, shit is about to get real. So he comes in kind of during a time of transition. Yeah. So this guy, John Bur- uh, George Burroughs, no longer minister, and he shows up and Putnam's like, hey, look, I got a job for you. Mm. Nobody likes you. You're a greedy asshole. You're a slave owner. You're a racist piece of shit. But I like you because you're just as bad as I am. Why don't you be our minister? God. I have feelings. <laughs> Are they all positive? It sounds Every like they're single positive. One. <laughs> so Tituba's confession is believed to be from a combination of desperation and physical violence during questioning sure. and her status. Because what is she going to do? She's she is dependent entirely on this family. They provide her job, her home, her everything. Likely to save themselves, she and her husband, they they confess. And they're also demanded to give the names of other witches in town. So they just name people. Yeah, you're in this position where you have zero power. You're dependent on other people for your survival. You have no idea what the punishment might be, but it could be death. Like, what are you going to do? And like, think about people like you've heard in Europe of people that refuse to admit that they were witches and... They were burned or they were killed in forms of testing. Like, like, seems like once the accusation is made, there's not much you can do to disprove it. Yeah. So, I mean, there's... I just feel so bad for them because they they had no choice. So, of course, accusations of witchcraft went as far back as the 1300s in Europe. And prior to these events in Salem's, those accused of witchcraft in the Americas were brought to a town magistrate and the matter was handled internally. So this wasn't the first time in the Americas that there were ac- accusations of witchcraft. Okay. But it was always, let's go to the magistrate, we'll sort this out. Oh, uh, okay. But in Salem Village, four known witches allegedly attacked the daughter of a minister, a minister's live-in niece, and the daughter of a wealthy local man. So... Like, in the past, they're like, let's just figure out what the hell's going on here. But now it's like, oh, no. The head of society is being attacked. The rich are under attack, so now we have to care. Now we gotta do something. So, with Tituba and John Indian naming names, it was clear that the village was under attack by the devil. Obviously. By the middle of the decade, the witch epidemic would infect 
24 total communities, including Boston and Andover, Massachusetts. Wow. So even though Salem Village, modern-day Danvers, is kind of like the epicenter of it, this was all over the state. This went up and down everywhere. Dang. So just to say, like, just in Salem, they needed to get their shit together. No, this was like a whole thing. So this was a huge mass hysteria. So... In fact, the accusations began flying all around the territory, and when witches began filling jailhouses all the way to Boston, the governor, William Phipps, created the Court of Oyer and Terminer, which actually translates to to hear and decide. Because, mm. you know, you have to say it in Latin. Sure. But that doesn't make you a witch when you say things in Latin because you're a dude. Okay, got yeah, it. You're a white dude in power. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, I'm just trying to keep the rules straight. So, um, there's actually a Phipps Plaza in Massachusetts. Phipps? Yeah. Because Governor Phipps. Ah. He's the one who put this all together. Ah. So, Reverend Paris himself served as a prosecutor during these events. This court rather infamously accepted evidence and testimonies of witches' marks, spectral terrors, and maleficium. So the governor's thinking, okay, everyone's like accusing each other of witches. We need to have due process. And mm. this is another thing like a lot of documentaries and historians talk about. These people did believe in a lot of modern things that we believe in today in the court system. Uh, there were prosecutors, defendants, uh, you need witness testimony, you need evidence. You sure. can't just say that they're a witch and let it be. But as things are like building up, the governor's like, okay, we need to find like a more streamlined way to deal with this. And he puts this together. But the fact that they allow in things like witches' marks, maleficium, and spectral evidence, these are all things that are open to interpretation. That's the SNL must be the witch. Right, yeah. Or like she has a wart. Or like like there's a lot of stuff like that where it's like, well, <laughs> to me, it just doesn't seem like enough. Yeah. I mean, it's like she has a skin condition. <laughs> Oh, no, she has rosacea. God. Must be a witch. God forbid you have eczema. Jesus, just be scratching so yourself. Uh, so uh, in one heartbreaking account, Sarah Good's four-year-old daughter was brought to testify against her. Oh. So the daughter, during a cross-examination, she's stuttering and she's stumbling because, because she's, she's, she's afraid and she's four fucking years old. The prosecution successfully argued the child's inability to speak was a clear sign of witchcraft. And as a result, her mother was condemned. Uh, I got a problem with putting a four-year-old on the stand. I mean, a stutter is like one of the things that goes back all the way through human history. Yeah. It's a stutter. It's a four-year-old. Yeah. And so many, so many, so many issues here. And in Salem, scandal further struck when the town church members Rebecca Nurse and Martha Corey were both accused. Hmm. Before I get into that, I need to explain how important it is to be a member of the church. Okay. So, though anyone can join the weekly congregation, anyone can show up and attend church, the title of church member was an elevated designation in Puritan life. As staunch believers of predestination, meaning God's already decided if you're going to heaven or hell, church members were seen as confirmed members of the saved, those predestined for heaven upon death. So that's why Puritans are like so buttoned up, because they believe that how they acted in everyday life 
was a reflection of where they were going to go after death. So if you're a member of the church, that means you have been approved as like the best of the best, the cream of the crop. Mm. And so when two of them are accused of witchcraft, two church members, in Puritan society, this is huge. This is like accusing a cardinal of witchcraft. Okay, okay. So it's me- the elevated status is also, it's not just like, you're a good person because you do good things. It's like, you are a member of the church, and therefore, like, that means you're going to heaven. And like, it's it's beyond even mm-hmm. like, just being like, trying to be a good person. Because like, I grew up in a Baptist church, and you could like, anyone could show up. Mm-hmm. But like, to be a member, you had to like, get baptized and like, agree to like, kind of try to be an active participant but like you didn't really have to do anything differently mm. like they're like we'd like it if you tie <laughs> you know? yeah. that'd be good for us but like it wasn't it wasn't so i don't think this the difference in status was so big yeah yeah but yeah could you imagine like finding out that an elder in your church like one of the deacons or something yeah. like was accused of witchcraft it would be like no <laughs> it's like one of these churches uh, you'll see like those scandals like true crime like it turns like one of them's like stealing from the church or like you know btk who was a volunteer in his church was you know btk right way to go dennis fucker um <clears throat> anyway i have feelings <laughs> so this just once they're accused it just it set like the standard of if these two can be a witch, anybody can be a witch. Mm. But of course, neither woman was actually without flaw. So now we're going to understand why these two were picked out. Wait, wait, they weren't perfect? No, they were human. I mean, to err is to human, right? Oh, well, then they were probably witches. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that just makes sense. <laughs> I know I'm perfect and I'm not a witch, so <laughs> problem solved. So even though she was a member of the church, Martha Corey, for example, had an illegitimate mixed race child (gasps) yeah though her husband giles accepted and raised the boy as his own or giles uh, accepted and raised the boy as his own it was still a blemish on her record wow so she had a kid out of wedlock that was mixed race and then her husband is still like yeah i don't care i still love you and i love the kid and i want to raise him what a horrible family i know now, Rebecca Nurse, however, she was an elderly woman. She was 71 years old at the time, and she, even though she'd been ornery in her later years, who yeah. <laughs> isn't, still, she had a stellar reputation among the villagers, and her accusation was the most shocking to date. Mm. Like, those before and those who had faced trial after, uh, a mass of schoolgirls threw themselves back and forth, shouted in terror, and claimed ailments and visions only they could see. And though she did not have a lawyer, a right not allowed to accused witches, you were not allowed a defense attorney. Oh, okay. So we had a lot of the same court system stuff, but you couldn't get a defense attorney? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, she performed relatively well in trial, despite not having an attorney. Wow. She was so beloved that 39 members of the church signed a petition for her release. Wow. That is fucking huge. Like, that alone should have gotten her off. Right. I mean, the fact that they should have realized that everyone was acting like idiots should have gotten her off. But they were like, hey, you know, maybe some people are witches, but not Rebecca Nurse. Of all the people, not Rebecca Nurse. Yeah. It was like, this is is getting crazy. So, uh, the jury eventually found her not guilty... But the juridic was reviewed by a panel of judges. The jury has 
if the jury has deliberated twice, which is common, there's just enough to call for review. So the idea is like, okay, so for some reason they were hung up. So we're going to bring in this panel of judges to find out why were they hung up? What, mm. what, what was it? Is there something that we missed? Just in case something fell through the cracks. During trial, Rebecca Nurse referred to Deliverance Hobbs, uh, another accused witch, as one of her own. Though she later explained that she meant that the woman was a fellow accused, not a fellow witch, her partial deafness impacted her ability to hear the question from the judges. Uh. So when they asked her to clarify, what did you mean as one of your own? What she should have replied at that time is, I meant that, like me, she's been falsely accused because you're being fucking idiots. Right. Because she couldn't hear them, she was silent when they asked what she meant by that because she was partially deaf. And they took her silence as guilt. Exactly. And so they took that as confirmation of her involvement. And as a result, Rebecca Nurse was found guilty by the court and hung in July of 1692. Whoa. 71-year-old woman. That, like, 40 people had said, like, there's no way she's a witch. Yeah, exactly. So this is fucking insane. And actually, that wasn't even it for her family. Her sister, Mary Eastley, and her other sister, Sarah Cloyce, were both later accused and tried as witches. Though Sarah was exonerated, Mary was found guilty and also hanged. Wow. So going back to the Corys and Rebecca Nurse, they were not the last of the church members to face trial and death. Famously, Martha Corys' husband, Giles, was also accused. And this is like one of the most badass and heartbreaking stories. And he's one of the only men, it sounds like, at least in the story that we've heard so far. Yeah, like it was mostly women because of course it's women. Sure. I mean, we're responsible for original sin. Obviously. It makes me think of that scene in Dogma where Salma Hayek, who plays the I muse. I think I've seen Dogma. Oh, you should see Dogma. I know Alanis is gone. <laughs> she, uh, so in the movie Dogma, Salma Hayek plays a muse from heaven who's decided to come down to earth because she said that she was, the problem with being intangible is that you get no say in the editorial process. So she wanted to come down to write her own stuff. <laughs> And she said that one of the things that she hated was that all the scribes that were writing all the books of the Bible, she would inspire them, but they were all men. And she said, if you look at the Bible, women are the worst of the worst. Uh, Eve commits original sin. A woman asks for the head of John the Baptist. A woman is the responsibility for like Samson Mm. dying. Like women are portrayed. She says something like women are portrayed worse than the Philistines and the Romans combined. It sucks. (laughs) (laughs) So. God, yeah. We get blamed for everything. Yeah. But Giles Quarry, again, this is a badass story and a heartbreaking one, but he was put under a technique that was called pressing. So he was to lay flat while more and more heavy stones were set on his body. And as like the weight was increasing, they kept telling him to confess to being a witch. But defiant as always, Giles Quarry just says, more weight more weight every time they like confess just tell us just give us something we'll stop as soon as you confess he just says more weight and in fact his last words were more weight and when the last stone was laid after saying more weight a final time his ribs buckled and he died of his injuries so his ribs would have broken and caved in puncturing his internal organs including his lungs wow that is a horrific death and he was like, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, he's like, I'm not going to say I did something I didn't do. This is this is going to be on you for the rest of your life. 
The apex of accusation came in late July, early August of 1692, when the alleged ringleader and head of the Salem Village Coven was arrested. It was George Burroughs, the former Salem Village minister, thrice widower, and father, was arrested following accusation from his own brothers and town elders, such as Thomas Putnam. So, most of the witches are women, but the person in charge of all the witches is a man? Well, yeah. And I mean, if you even go, like, higher than that, if you all the way up the hierarchy of witches, they all worship the devil, who's a man. Ah, gotcha. Okay. (laughs) I, I mean... We're responsible for everything that's wrong, but we still have to answer to a man. Of course. That makes... Yep. Okay. I'm with you. We're just corrupted easier. So so the former minister who... He... Why did he stop being the minister? Do we know any of that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're going to get right into that next. It's like you're reading my mind. Or we've done this episode before. Either way. (laughs) (laughs) So Burroughs had been the minister before Paris showed up, and he was the minister when his third wife died. It was after her death, his wages suddenly ceased. So his wife dies and they suddenly, first they decrease his pay and then they stop paying him. So as he quarreled with the church and he still has rent to pay and children to raise, in desperation, he turns to Thomas Putnam, the rich guy in town, and asks for a loan. I mean, what's he going to do at this point? He's got to survive and he's got mouths to feed. Exactly. And actually, one thing I forgot to mention earlier, remember how I said all the jails were filling up? Mm-hmm. You had to pay rent on your jail cell. Sure. Yeah. So you're in jail being charged for being in jail, but you can't work because you're in jail for something you didn't do. <sighs> the more things change. <laughs> so... Uh, so he goes to Thomas Putnam for the loan, and the man obliged, but when he came to collect, Burroughs could not afford the payment. So it seems like there was actually a pretty fast turnaround. Like, Putnam's like, here's the money, and then, like, not long after, he's like, where's my money at? It's like, I don't know, where's my job? And he's <laughs> like, they still haven't paid me. I, I need to get paid. Where am I supposed to get money? But this became a scandal because now he's a minister who can't pay back his debts, uh, paired with the fact that he's fighting with the church, which is in charge of everything, it led to, like, this disgrace in town. And so he resigned. Because, like, why would you keep doing this job for free? Yeah, they pretty much, like, they bullied him out. They were like, we're not going to pay you, even though your wife just fucking died. And it does sound like he was a piece of shit, like, as a person. But at the same time, it's like, he's doing a job. Fucking pay him. Right, Yeah. So they pretty much, like, muscle him out. So he moved his children away from Salem Village and eventually landed in another Massachusetts community. And it wasn't much longer after that Samuel Paris, friend of Thomas Putnam, happened to arrive in Salem Village and became the new minister. Hmm, almost like Putnam had a vested interest in running this guy out of town so his friend could have a job. Ah, yeah, isn't it making a lot more sense now? Yeah. So then rumors started to swirl around Burroughs. He had not only fallen out with the church, but with the community of Salem and Puritan practices and Christianity. Though he had remarried, he'd failed to baptize his youngest children and no longer attended masses. I can't imagine why he has a problem with the church. <laughs> I can't imagine they treated him so well. So having buried three wives previously, there were some rumors that Burroughs was responsible for their deaths. 
though there was evidence and belief that he likely was abusive, because he's a man in Puritan times, right? there had been no evidence that Burroughs had murdered his wives. So just because you're a wife beater doesn't mean you're a wife murderer. <laughs> Let's get it straight. Yeah. I mean, again, still a piece of shit person, but he didn't murder his wives, and he was muscled out for an even bigger piece of shit mm, to come in. Yeah. So, I mean, looking at this through the Puritan lens, though, it makes sense. Paris replaced him as head of the church with the help of his friend Putnam. Those men's daughters and Paris's niece were the first victims. When Salem Village carried on uh, in Burroughs' absence, he just recruited those on the fringes of society. Mm. He collected the elderly, the promiscuous, the ungodly, and unholy. His insidiousness poisoned the minds of his former allies in the church, including the likes of Martha Corey, Giles Corey, and Rebecca Nurse. By way of Rebecca, he seduced Mary into his plot. As the sleepy town of Salem Village sat in ignorance, the once man of God had sworn his soul to the devil in a conspiracy of wrath and revenge. Now, George Burroughs has been named. They called him the Black Minister, which, by the way, dibs on the band name Black Minister. Yeah, that's pretty dope. The man who once read scripture from the pulpit, signed his name in the Book of the Devil, and led an army of minions to ravage not only Salem, but the outlying communities of Massachusetts. He was guilty, and soon court opinion matched that of the public. On August 19th of 1692, Burroughs was marched to the noose at Proctor's Ledge. From the gallows, though, Burroughs stood and turned the proceedings on its head. And this is another, like, just badass moment. Okay. He recited the Lord's Prayer. <gasps> he did it loudly, clearly, and without stutter or stumble. And the crowd stood in silent shock, but soon reality struck them. A servant of the devil cannot recite the Lord's prayers. According to all literature and scripture alike, it was an impossibility. It was, in fact, an irrefutable piece of proof of Burroughs' innocence of witchcraft. Seems like something we could have used on Rebecca or Giles to find to find out whether or not they were... We, we could just simple test with the Lord's prayer. Or pretty much anyone they killed during all this. Yeah. I mean, so he's reciting it and everyone's like, oh shit. We done fucked up. <sighs> you would think. But as the crowd stirred, from his horseback, Reverend Cotton Mather spoke. He was not of Salem Village, but as most of Massachusetts, he had been enraptured in the plague of witchcraft, and he was near for the execution of the man at the heart of it all. So, I mean, he's not involved, but he's like, you know, I heard they got the ringleader. I'll go to the execution. Okay. And so he's known as a godly and scholarly man, and he reminded the crowd of two truths. Firstly, Burroughs has been thoroughly tried and found guilty in a court of law. Like, we already had a full trial that found him guilty. The time for argument had already ended. 
Secondly, so there's no appeals process in Salem. Town. No, even though this is like you know, this is like finding out that someone who's been accused of murder, their DNA didn't match, and you found the person whose DNA matched. But we already had the trial, so the trial, the trial. But secondly, even the devil can appear as a being of light, as stated in the Bible. True. Burroughs was no longer an ordained minister, having resigned disgracefully long before. And even the devil could recite scripture when it suited him. Mm. And a good example of the devil reciting scripture comes when Jesus was in the desert for 40 days and the devil tries to tempt him. Yep, he uses scripture to do so. And with that, his fate is sealed. And Burroughs was executed. Oof, so not even the Lord's Prayer is proof against. It's almost like nothing is actually proof against being a witch. There's only things that are proof for being a witch. So, Mather, we're going to end up having some mixed feelings about, um, because in this case, he does make what at the time, in their logic, would have been sound arguments. Sure. It was, we already had a full trial about this, and also remember, the devil can do this, even though it's against like all literature, <clears throat> if he's like this, like, elevated like member of like the devil's hierarchy then i mean technically it is reasonable but this did haunt him personally i think mather number one he's one of those people that's just like too smart for their own good i believe there are two types of lawyers in the world they're the ones that actually care about the truth and the ones that care about winning and the ones that care about winning they will find any loophole they can to win an argument and i also think you know he rode all this way for this execution the crowd is riled up. It's this huge moment. Blah, blah, blah. People want blood. And I'm sure that a small part of him wanted blood, too. And as a lawyer, it's your job to win, no matter what the truth is. Yeah. But, I mean, remember, he's also a reverend. And he's just mm. in the area for the execution. Yeah, that's fair. He just seems like someone who's very intelligent. And he knows how to argue either side of a point. So, I think, for lack of a better better term, he was playing devil's advocate here. <laughs> Like so many men do with women's rights. Just devil's advocate on a thing that doesn't matter to me at all, but um, I'm going to argue against it because it's fun. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't have any thoughts about that. So, with though the black minister was dead, accusations were still flying. Mm. So, like, this should have, like, been it. Like, we got the guy that was at the head of it. If anything left, it should just be cleanup now. Right. Though he'd delivered a successful argument for Burroughs' death, Reverend Mather could not shake the event like this haunted him. In fact, he spoke to his son about it. Increase Mather was then president of Harvard University, and he was in fact the third ever president of Harvard. Wait, so these families' names are Cotton and Increase? Yup. <laughs> okay. Yup, yup. Anyway, so even though he's a godly man, uh, like his father, he's also a man of reason. And with uh, the dead increasing and the jails overcrowding, both Mathers are really disturbed by this trend that just doesn't seem to be ending. So essentially, like, Mathers goes to this thing, he's like, well, you know, technically, like, he could still be a witch, like, if this is, like, the reasoning we're using. But he's so upset by it, he's like, okay, I want to talk to my son, who's a scholar, mm. and this this doesn't seem right. Something's, th there's something going on here. It was at the trial of Bridget Bishop, which actually stirred protest. She was both promiscuous and a local gossip. Bridget was arrested as a witch, as previously spectral evidence and the spectacle of young girls shrieking in terror swayed the court. Despite her denials and protests, she was found guilty and sentenced to death 
Five days after her death, Minister Mather could no longer stomach the trials and approached the courts to dismiss spectral evidence. And in fact, there's like one story of a girl who's like 11 or 12 being dragged out of the court by her mom, like scolding her. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these trials, they had like just like these schoolgirls. Because the idea is that I'm I'm sure that you've heard like children and animals are like closer to the ether. Mm -hmm. They can see things that adults have like closed other minds because we've closed yourself off from that veil. There's all those like spooky stories of like three-year-olds being like, mom, before I was with you, I was with God. And before that, I was on an ocean ship in 1862. You're like, what? Kids can be real fucking creepy. (laughs) I have some stories of my brother and I being really creepy kids. I don't believe that for one second. You want to hear one of them? Yes. So I've told you about the monkey school, right? Probably, but my dad had a monkey skull. <laughs> like inside his head or? <laughs> well, if you want to believe in evolution, I'm like, oh, monkey skulls. Anyways. Uh. Uh, but I told you like the story of like when I had the dream where I thought I was awake and like I saw the monkey skull. Yes. So the monkey skull actually plays into like a surprising amount of my childhood stories. We had this one poor babysitter when we were in elementary school. It was the only time she ever sat for us and I don't know why our normal sitters weren't there for us. And... My brother and I decided to mess with her. And it was the only time we ever messed with a babysitter. And, like, he was, like, quiet, like, the whole time. Like, he wouldn't speak or anything. And I should have been like, he hasn't spoken since the incident. <laughs> I didn't go that far. When, like, I, whenever, like, she would, like, try to, like, get Bob's attention, he would just kind of, like, brush her off and just, like, keep doing his own thing. And, like, she didn't really, like, ask me about it. I just, like, kind of, like, acted like that's just how he is. <laughs> right. And at one point, he goes into my dad's office. He has his arms behind his back. And she comes in and she's like, hey, Bobby, what are you doing in here? And he's like, I'm with my friend. Would you like to meet my friend? Oh, and she goes, yes. And he pulls up the monkey skull. <laughs> <laughs> so kids can be real shit. I love it. <laughs> She never sat for us again. I can't imagine why. Yeah, when I finally told my dad this story, apparently she was the daughter of a judge. And he was like, I always wondered why she was ever willing to come back. (laughs) Uh, So uh, if you have children, don't have a monkey skull in your house. They're going to get real creative. Hot tip. (laughs) Leave the monkey skulls out of it. (laughs) Anyway, so... um, fucking kids so like at a lot of these trials they would have children in the audience because they're like if anyone's going to be able to see the specters it's going to be the kids well they also didn't have socialized childcare, like we still don't so what are you going to do with kids whatever you can i guess throw them in the courtroom let them go nuts let them get it out i bet they all slept very well at nighttime after that and so they couldn't stand the trials anymore. So on October 3rd, Increased Mather continues his father's crusade, and he publicly rejects and slams the use of spectral evidence and arguments. He said, quote, It were better that ten suspected witches escape than one innocent person be condemned. I mean, amen to that. That's like, I wholly subscribe to that idea of justice. Exactly. So by November, 18 people were already dead. And the accusations were showing no signs of ending. (sighs) Oh, so there was one girl in Salem that accused 62 separate people, many of which she did not know and lived in other areas in Massachusetts. What, does she have a church directory? How does she even, like, come up with these names? I'm thinking, like, if I were to say John Smith is a witch, 
There are probably a dozen John Smiths mm, in Seattle. That's you fair. can probably find one. Yeah, and it seems like the like name conventions are pretty simple back then. So. Yeah. And like many of them argue that not only were they not witches, but why would they attack someone they didn't even know in Salem Village? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, they're like, ah, oh, this girl's full of shit. I don't even know who the fuck she is. Right. Why, why do I care about this kid? I'd rather kill my landlord. He's charging me too much rent. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like there's no end in sight. But then in autumn, an accusation was thrown at the wife of Governor William Phipps. Oh, wow. Knowing full well his wife is not a witch. In fact, like this is the governor that put together the court system. He started seeing a little bit of sense. And Phipps decides, you know what? We're going to dissolve the court and we're going to release most of the accused. And when trials were permitted to restart more on a local level, spectral evidence was no longer allowed. Yay! So it really took like accusing like the highest rich white guy's wife. So that's what that's got to be your opening move from now on. If you're accused of being a witch, you got to think who's the most powerful conservative person I know and name that person because then the whole thing's going to be thrown out. If you name someone who might be believed as a witch, this thing could go on for years. Yeah, and I mean like think about like the reasons why people would accuse someone of witchcraft. It's like number 1 is the hot thing to do right now. <laughs> Everyone's doing it. Everyone's doing it. But you're like I have a neighbor that I'm having issues with and I want their land. What if they're a witch? Right. What about that hobo down the street that I just think she's filthy and I'm tired of looking at her? And probably, you know, her station in life is directly the result of only her own actions and poor choices and nothing else. So yeah. she probably deserves whatever's coming to her. I want to get rid of all the sex workers so they're all witches. And you're like, yeah. also like in this fever of people just like accusing and accusing and accusing. And once those people like on the fringes are all imprisoned, then who are you going to start blaming? You're going to start blaming people more centralized in society. Yeah. That's where you got to start. That's my takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> it's that whole escalation. We talked about this on a, our Satanic Panic episode where like it started off as like this one thing and then like they got the kids involved and were asking leading questions mm. and using hypnosis and then they're flying around the classroom and then it was there's some Satanic activity and then it's like all these daycares across the country and no, there is a cabal of evil Satanic worshippers that go back to the Nazis and... <laughs> It, yeah, it's just like one thing leads to right. another. And so when it finally reopens, they are not allowed to use spectral evidence anymore. The schoolgirls were once seen throwing themselves on the ground in court. They fell silent. Suddenly they're not afflicted anymore. And without the distraction and the drama, the courts were forced to focus on evidence rather than speculation and dreams. Imagine that. I know. And for some reason, the accusations quickly subsided. Hmm. So... In the fallout of the trials, more than 300 individuals were accused, 39 were found guilty, and 19 were executed via hanging 14 women and 5 men, Ooh. and one died of pressing, being our friend Giles Corey. In 1695, official inquiries into those responsible for the trials began. This was headed by Increase Mather, and among those found responsible included Reverend Samuel Paris mm. and others in the community who stoked the fires of suspicion. Rebecca Nurse's guilty verdict was overturned approximately 20 years after her death. Wow. Her house still stands in Danvers, Massachusetts, and you can visit it today. Proctor's Ledge, where most of the hangings occurred, it's actually been turned into a memorial site for all the victims. So, over the years, 
Many of the verdicts have been overturned, but it wasn't until 2001, and I can't believe I'm saying this, in 2001, a push was made to clear all 19 names. An act by the state that year absolved all those executed. Just the executed. Hmm. In November 2004, another push was made to absolve those found guilty throughout the trials. Though a similar uh, proclamation was enacted in the 19th century, the language is a little bit vague, and it said just Burroughs and others. It's just like Burroughs and whoever else. It's like, no, it's actually pretty important to, like, name the people. Yeah, so, like, it took, like, this other push to, like, start, like, cleaning that up. And though there are many theories to the cause of the Salem witch trials, no one causality has been established. So, for example, uh, around this time, too, was around the time of, like, the uh, French Indian War, there were more attacks from indigenous persons in the area uh, because they're rightfully defending their own land. They are in a time of consistent conflict. Uh, the British want the Americas. The French want the Americas. Mm. The Spanish are starting in uh, the South Americas. You have the indigenous persons who want to stay there. And then right. you have all the communities of people that are trying to start up individually with their own ideals. And they don't always agree with each other. Sure. So some people saw this as like a distraction from the instability of what was going on or kind of like a way to blame the turmoil in their day-to-day lives on just the devil, like Mm. just like wrap it up in a bow. And that's how conspiracy theories work. I mean, no one wants to believe that our government dropped the ball fucking hard on September 11th and that just a little over a dozen people were able to get on four separate airliners and crash them. There's something that's actually kind of comforting about believing that we knew and did nothing as a, like we actually like were in on it or planned it or, or for whatever because that means like somebody like there was an adult making a choice as opposed yeah. to just like yeah, sometimes shit happens and we're bad at handling it. it. It's easier just to blame one thing. Yeah. To just say it's just this one thing not a cascade effect mm, of things. Good point. And that's, like, the sad thing is that you can't blame one thing for the Salem Witch Trials. Like, Putnam and Paris being fucking assholes, that screwed George Burroughs over hard. And Salem Village did him dirty. But he didn't go out and recruit a bunch of witches because of that. (laughs) That just became the easy scapegoat when their girls were acting up. And for the girls, they're probably thinking at the time, they're probably acting out because, again, they're very repressed in this society. Or maybe other reasons, because they're also rich kids. Maybe they just want a new pony. I don't know. They needed someone to blame for their behavior. And then, just, again, snowball effect. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is a lot of, like, um, different factors, like, coalescing into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not like you could, like, get rid of one thing and this never would have happened. Right. But let's talk about modern witches. Let's do. And I'm going to tell you how to spot modern witches, too. Uh, yeah, great. Awesome. So modern witches are usually Wiccans. They have uh, reclaimed Salem, Massachusetts, not Danvers, Massachusetts. So I think it's a little bit funny that they, like, kind of reclaimed it, but it's like... It's- the wrong place but, like, but again it happened all over massachusetts and no so. one like no one's like oh you know danvers massachusetts yeah <laughs> you, guys, you need to go down the hill there <laughs> so they've taken over salem what was formerly salem town in salem massachusetts many modern witches are practitioners of wicca a pagan originating craft which pays tribute to the goddess hecate and it 
tri- gives tribute to her and to nature, really, as one. Is that how you say it? I always read it Hecate because I don't know things. It's just like that's how it made sense. To s- Is it Hecate? Hecate. Okay, good to know. Kind of like, like if you look at like Penelope on a Eurydice, like kind of Greek. You'd be like uh, Penelope. <laughs> Penelope. Okay, yeah, I get you. Antigone, Antigone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Hecate is who they pay tribute to. Practitioners of Wicca honor the seasons and they believe in the rule of three. What intention you put into the world is intention you will receive back in three. So if you're, it's kind of like karma. If you're a dickhead and then shit's going to happen to you, it's not going to pay out in the end. But if you're a good person, you put good into the world, then you'll get good back to you. And there's, to me, a sound psychological basis to that concept in, in so much as the way that we behave shapes our ideas of other people's intentions and behaviors. So if I generally act in good faith and try to be kind and try to be honest, I will assume that that's how other people are also acting or what they're acting out of. It's the same thing how like cheaters are the most suspicious people in the whole Mm -hmm, world because they assume that like them, you're also committing infidelity. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's like that, that makes sense to me. It's like if I'm acting in such a way that promotes goodness, then like, it kind of is going to make me believe that and I'm going to see the lens, the world through a lens of goodness. Yeah, yeah. So Wiccans, and this also goes back into like more of like uh, their, the, uh, the rule of three, that Wiccans do not believe in cursing, hexing, or doing harm. In fact, they believe in harmony and understanding. There is no devil in the craft. Hecate, also known as the triple goddess, appears as the three forms of life. The maiden, the mother, and the crone. <laughs> so it just, it symbols the circle of life. So how to spot a Wiccan? Candles. Wiccans use candles not only in rituals, but to set a sense of atmosphere in their lives, rooms, and spaces. Each color corresponds with a different intention, white being among the purest and most powerful. One of the things that you, lovely Lacey, gifted me in my MS box was a purple candle of healing. And purple is a very healing color in it. Um, It had a beautiful lavender scent to it. It made our house smell amazing. It made the car smell amazing. Like on the ride over to your place, like that car smelled like that candle for like a week afterwards. I I burned through that candle so quickly. I want to get another one. And we still need to go to that place. Gargoyle statuary. It's so cool. Candles. (laughs) Candles. Flora and fauna. Various plants and herbs incite different reactions from the calming scent of lavender to the cleansing properties of sage and the soothe of aloe. These aren't just used for rituals out of respect, but also for their natural medicinal purposes. Additionally, as Wiccans are nature lovers, they have a pet or pets and often ask strangers if they may pet their dogs. Animals, like us, are a part of nature. So pure and I love that. I love it. I love Wiccans. Like when uh I lit the candle that you gave me, Heath asked if I believed that like burning a candle would actually heal me of my MS, and I said, No, but I do believe that different scents can incite different reactions and different moods. And I think that on a level also helps. And I think there is something to human intent and yeah. human energy uh, that we I'm going to say don't understand yet. We can't measure it, so how could we? Yeah, well, I, I've told you this before, and I, I quote this all the time, but there was an article I read years ago about a woman who 
had breast cancer, went into remission, and then she relapsed. When she relapsed, she started wearing lipstick to her chemotherapy appointments, and she noticed that she actually recovered faster. And she believed because she was wearing lipstick, she was more confident, she wasn't so down on herself, she hadn't just given up and wasn't showing up like in her sweatpants like she Mm -hmm. was before. And just by like having that little bit extra to keep herself going uh how many times have you heard doctors say even if it's just on tv shows it's up to them now yeah it's like we're all constantly creating our own reality you know and if lipstick is part of that (laughs) great yeah yeah (laughs) so another thing that uh you'll notice that when you're spotting witches tea more herbs love herbs we got a pretty witchy house over here between me and Lee. We got cats. We got... I've seen your collection of tea from here. Yeah, we've got this cabinet full, this open cabinet full of tea that Alex can see. I just got my first plant at the end of uh, January. Her name's Lucy. She's a ghost echeveria succulent. <laughs> She's planted in a planter with boobies. I appreciate <laughs> Thanks, Robin, for that gift. Um, another thing that you'll notice when spotting witches... Incense. Wiccans may burn incense as a form of ritual or a cleanse or as a cleansing or just as a calming focus or simply just create balance in their personal space. Witches always smell good. It's true. They always do. We had uh, a woman who practiced uh, Wicca across the way from us in our courtyard. And I always knew when she'd been petting or playing with Malcolm because he would come into the house smelling amazing. Mm. Another thing to spot pentagrams and this one is actually it's very very important because this one gets a lot of a misnomer and i talked about this a little bit on the um demonic panic uh the satanic panic where the drink was the demonic time oh my god i am so fucked up (laughs) on the satanic panic episode so the upright pentagram which means that the point is up is a symbol of positivity and protection it marks the five major elements fire earth air water and spirit and the star creates a standing human with their arms and legs out. Okay, think of the Ventrubian Man. Okay, yeah. The inverted pentagram is the opposite and is often adopted by practices not associated with Wiccans. So it's kind of like the inverse of it. And that's another thing that you notice a lot in uh, casting and sigils and things in witchcraft is that if you do it in reverse, it usually means the opposite. Okay. There's the triple moon, which you may have seen is like, a crescent uh, with the it. opening to the left, a circle in the middle, and then a crescent facing the other way. This symbolizes the triple goddess. And then the final thing, manners. Wiccans believe in kindness, understanding, and exploration. They love to understand ideas and create harmony where they can. Wiccans hold doors open, they say please and thank you, and they check in on neighbors when the power goes out. <laughs> I like it. And that's the Salem Witch Trials. Wow. Yeah, no, uh, I learned a lot uh, both times we've recorded this. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I definitely didn't know how widespread it was. I thought it was more centralized. I didn't know it was all Mm. over Massachusetts. Um, The degree to which they attempted to use, like, logic and rationality in the proceedings um, Mm -hmm. and try to, like, set up some sort of systemic way to evaluate guilt, I think that was, you know... um, well-intentioned, yeah. <laughs> poorly executed, um, literally. Uh, yeah, no, this has been a really fascinating episode, and I really appreciate the button that you put on it with the, like, how to spot, like, a modern-day witch. I think yeah. that's, like, Thank a you. really cool, um, really cool thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, 
Every Wiccan I've known has been amazing. Wiccans are just like open, very loving people, and they really do care about balance. And like with most religions and spiritualities, I think of Wiccan, you can go into it at whatever degree you want. You can either be like a hardcore practitioner, or you can just bring in elements of it into your life. Just, I think the underlying tones of just understanding, balance, and harmony with nature, I think those are all things that everyone can understand. Yeah. Um, so we don't know when we're going to record our next episode. We're going to aim for once a month, but there's no guarantee on that just because we make no promises here at Crackpot Cocktail Hour. We've got a lot going on in our personal lives. Life is very unpredictable. Like if if I were unemployed, I do not want to be unemployed. <laughs> I could dedicate almost all my time to this and maybe make more of a study schedule. I am unemployed and I refuse to do that. <laughs> I don't expect you to do that, but also like buying the ingredients for a cocktail for every other week and figuring out how to put together that cocktail. And that's something I think we need to stress is you're not like going into a cocktail book and being like, okay, so I'm just going to like take this Moscow mule and add a weird thing to it. And then we're just going to call it a blah, blah. You're actually crafting these from scratch yourself and I know that you use your husband as your guinea pig. I do. <laughs> he hates a lot of things, so he's pretty useful. <laughs> <laughs> but you're also you're having to go out and buy the ingredients, and alcohol is not cheap, especially in Washington. Like, figure out how to stage it and photograph it, which <laughs> none of that comes naturally to me, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, there's uh, there, there's a lot to this podcast, and between work schedules and health, it's hard to like pin down an exact schedule and so for us like if it's the choice between like quantity or quality we're going quality and you're gonna get the episodes when you get them but they're gonna be generally what you've come to expect from us um with that being said though do you have an idea for your next episode so uh i actually do and when you were talking about one of the ways to spot a modern witch is uh the flora and the fauna and having uh plants and herbs around Mm -hmm. that are helpful and medicinal i want to talk about the endocannabinoid system Ooh. and uh, how humans are naturally wired to be compatible with cannabis. That is my thesis that I'd like to explore in the next episode. I think we're going to get a lot of new listeners from that episode. <laughs> I'm pretty excited <laughs> about talking about it. It's something that's close to my heart and my body. And I think more people need to know about it. So it's something that I want to just like really dig into. I'm excited to research. Like I know some, but I want to get, you know, my bearings on it a little bit better i am very excited for that i'm so happy that we're recording again this just this feels right me too um before we go uh we can cut this out if you want okay have you watched uh all of schitt's creek or have you watched i have watched all of schitt's creek huh yes i have okay cool um i wrote you a poem recently so i'm going to uh read that to you on our podcast and we don't have to leave it here but it's going to be here so i just need a second to look it up um so i wrote this uh february 25th it was i don't know partly realizing that and i'm just going to be honest and i hope this is cool (laughs) but it was partly realizing that like knowing a friend who has an illness that is it's not like learning that your life might be slightly shortened Mm -hmm. and it's slightly it's not a whole lot it's like not going to kill you tomorrow hopefully (laughs) like all of that but i i started to kind of feel the edges of like that 
the illness and like you being like a symbol of like mortality and how that could drive people away in some way possibly mm-hmm. because it's like well no one wants to think about anybody dying let alone myself or someone I love or whatever and so that was kind of the um, genesis of this idea. Alex is a symbol of her mortality and I'm proof of my own. Burdens carried, weights are shared, body, prison, home. Brain attacking, nerves unsheathed, the spaces between words. Losing things that felt like me were never what we were. Constant mourning, roaming pain, the thrum of blood and skull. Nothing takes it all away, but makes the edges dull. Science-minded cosplay queen, my podcast partner too. Desert, forest, eclipsed sun. I hate this journey for you. I love you so much. I love you too. You're going to get the biggest hug as soon as we put down these microphones. (laughs) (laughs) Screw it, I'm giving you the hug now. (laughs) If it stops recording, it stops recording. We love you, Crackpot. I'm not trying to make you cry on air. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's totally cool. I just, I had to read it to you. Well, thank you. Um, it has been, uh, it's been weird. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, as you know, like, you and uh, the other girls had the misfortunate timing of me, Marco Poloing you, within 20 minutes of learning. So I was still, like, there were still, like, tears in my eyes. And um, first week especially i cried a lot and i've been better recently but every now and then it it does it does hit me um the thing that hurts the most is number one i'm a very active person like i snowboard i used to skateboard and bmx like do all those crazy things and i'm slowly being unable to do those things and yeah it's i lose a little bit of myself every day but it's like these tiny little slivers and I don't notice how much I've lost until enough is gone. And hopefully, uh, and I've told you this in uh, Crackpots, you're going to learn this too. Uh, today, once I get home, my medication is finally arriving. It will begin my therapy and hopefully it'll slow its progression. And uh, hopefully I'll lose less than if I weren't medicated. Yeah. But it is weird to watch little pieces of yourself go and know that my world hasn't completely dissolved but it has gotten a little bit smaller i have to think about how many calories i'm going to be eating because if i have over a certain amount of calories or have too many fats my medication won't be as effective oh um i need to think like how much energy can i put into a thing without laying down saturday i woke up uh i had some breakfast i took a shower and fell asleep for five hours. <laughs> and it's just it's just an adjustment. Um, yeah. That's why I make the most of the time I have here. That's also why I came over to record in the day. Because my first dose is supposed to be tonight with my dinner. And I wanted to get this on the books before that. Also, I encourage everybody, if you want to support a good cause. Uh, I'm actually I'm wearing a hoodie from it today. There is a clothing company called Baby Girl LLC. You know this because Kendall and I talk about it all the time. You know that we're in love with the actor Shamar Moore. Yeah. He's just the best. And Heath knows that if he shows up tomorrow, then I'm sorry, Heath, but the choice has been made. <laughs> uh, Shamar Moore, many people know him from Criminal Minds or from SWAT. Um, I've been in love with him since he was Orlando in Diary of a Mad Black Woman. 
Oh, wow. It's been a minute since I saw that movie. Yeah, yeah. He's the guy that she ends up with. Um, such a good movie. Uh, anyway, his mother had MS. She passed away within this last year. Um, and I think, like, for most people who die of MS, you, my MS, you don't die because of your nervous system. You die of MS-related causes because it's an immune system issue, too. Right. Uh, so he started this group called Baby Girl LLC. Baby Girl was his catchphrase on Criminal Minds because that's what he always called the uh, technical ri- wizard uh, Garcia. Okay. And it's he sells clothing and other items on this website, but the money goes to MS Research. Oh, okay. That's cool. And here's the thing that really cracks me up about it, too, is he also sells, like, Posters of himself, shirtless, <laughs> cell phone cases, and calendars, and coffee table books. And I have to love that sense of humor where he's like, I know I'm pretty as as all hell, and I will sell shirtless pictures of myself. To if do it, good in the world. Yeah, if it raises money for MS, because that's what his mom died of, and, uh, or his mom had before she died, and uh, yeah, so it makes me love him even more. That's good to know. Yeah, so uh, if anyone's interested, Baby Girl LLC. Nice. That's it. I love you. I love you too. I'm gonna stop recording now. Oh, uh, stay cracked, whatever. We crack it like it's hot. Do, you know, something with the crack, the intergluteal cleft. Intergluteal cleft. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers! Cheers! As always, thank you for listening, and if you like what you heard today, please leave us a positive review and a five-star rating, and tell your friends. All of that helps people know who we are so that we can bring you more of what you love. If you'd like more information on a specific episode, visit our website, crackpotcocktailhour.com, and click on the episode's link. If you'd like to know when new episodes are coming out and see the cocktail recipes in advance, subscribe to us in your podcast app and follow us on social media. We are Crackpot Cocktail Hour on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest, and we're at Crackpot Hour on Twitter. If you've got feedback for an episode or would like to suggest an episode topic, feel free to email us. We're crackpotcocktailhour at gmail.com. Until next time, Crackpots, crack, crack it, it like it's hot! hot.